0: Good morning, I'm told to kill the handheld. I won't kill it, I'll just turn it off. Well, I realized that before the service started that I don't, there's still some people that I don't know that well and some people that don't know me that well. So I'll just introduce myself again. My name is Dan. I'm the youth pastor here. If you came, hoping to hear Mike, our interim pastor, he's on his way back from Texas from having Christmas with his family, so he'll be back during the week. But uh, you have the pleasure of listening to me today, so. <laughs> I, hope, uh, I hope everyone had a good Christmas. I know I did. Um, we wanted to include our, our two-year-old puppy uh, in our Christmas morning. So Christmas Eve, I decided to bathe her in this nice lavender puppy shampoo and have her all smelling nice so she could be in the house with us. And I decided to wash her dog bed, too. So I washed her dog bed and I threw it in the laundry, threw it in the washer, and uh, after that I was reminded by both my wife and the repairman not to throw the dog bed in the washing machine. So if you ever have a family of five or larger and going without a washing machine for about three days, it's a little bit interesting. First world problem, I know, but it's a little bit interesting. Uh, The title of my message today is 2018, put it on the table put it on the table. Now, when we look back at the previous year, which we're almost switching the calendar over to 2019, our lives were filled with stressful situations and events that put pressure on us, and, and some of us have learned how to cope, not always the best ways of doing it, or make adjustments in our life and deal with the things that have come our way. We've made it through. We're at the end of the calendar year. But there will always be times when there's a situation that is more than we can handle. And we have to reach out beyond our own means. So I want to talk about King Hezekiah. He did exactly that. Uh, if you have your Bible, either digital or physical format, turn to Second Kings 1914. That's where we're going to end up. But I want to give a little bit of background on King Hezekiah. Uh, if you're flipping through the Old Testament trying to find it, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st, 2nd Samuel, and then 1st and 2nd Kings. Now, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one, I realize that there's a shelf at the back of the church that's full of Bibles. Now, if you don't own one, I just want to invite you to take one of those, maybe after the service. Now, if I'm going to get in trouble for giving away Bibles, I'm okay with that. But if you need a Bible, help yourself after the service to one of those. Um, so, King Hezekiah, we can actually read about him and his background in three different books of the Bible. We can read about him in 2 Kings, there's three chapters about him there. Uh, in Isaiah, there's three chapters about him there. And 2 Chronicles, there's also three chapters about him there. Um, I want to give a little bit of his background, and he actually has 1% of all the Scripture is written about King Hezekiah and his kingdom and how he dealt with things. Now, 1% of the Bible might not seem like a lot when you consider all the different stories and characters, but actually 1%, uh, there's a lot that we can learn from him and his life and the things that he did in his kingdom of Judah. So a little bit of walk through, a little bit of history at this point. Uh, God's people are divided. There's separate kingdoms of Israel, uh, the northern kingdom, which is made up of 10 tribes. And had 19 kings, and it's said that none of them was ever a righteous king. And the southern kingdom of Judah, which was made up of two tribes, and overall there were four righteous kings in the kingdom of Judah. So King Hezekiah was king over Judah. He was the 13th king of Judah. And he was said to have done right in the eyes of the Lord. He walked with him. Through the previous kings, that wasn't always the case, as we can read about in the Old Testament. We only have to look to Hezekiah's dad, King Ahaz. He was 20 years old and he reigned for 20 years. And I want you to imagine, if you grew up in the, in the king's home, King Ahaz, uh, what type of child do you think he would turn out to be? Just a little bit of background on King Ahaz, who is evil. He devoted himself to pagan worship. He had various shrines built. He created even more idols. He looked for help from almost every pagan god that he had heard of he even participated in child sacrifice rituals to false gods. He was twisted. He was evil. He was a wicked king. It says in 2 Kings 16:2 and 2 that he didn't do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed detestable ways. In the time of distress, when even more trouble was coming on Ahaz, uh, he became even more unfaithful to the Lord. He was defeated by the king of Assyria on various occasions. And Ahaz thought to himself, well, if their gods helped them defeat me, then I'm going to turn to their gods too. And so he sought after more and more gods that could try to help him along in what he wanted. Ahaz ended up tearing down the temple furnishings and shutting the doors to the temple. He built altars on street corners to different gods. He was a wicked king. So what kind of child do you think would grow up in that house? What do you think he would turn out to be? seeing and watching his dad do all those things, you wouldn't think Hezekiah had much of a different future ahead of him. What kind of king was he going to grow up to be, living in one of the most wicked homes? Well, Hezekiah comes to the throne when he is 25 years old, and he's the exact opposite of his father. Well, I think about present-day society and some of our leaders, and I don't like to talk about uh, politics from the front or different political parties. But I think if we had a leader that came to power and decided to shift things so drastically uh, to turn our eyes on God, whether that's bring prayer back into schools, whether that's abolish abortion, whether that's get rid of different idol worship, that would be very painful and very hard work for a leader today to come in and do that. That's exactly what Hezekiah did. After following King Ahaz, who was a wicked king for 20 years, where do you start to change things? It says in Second Kings 18.5 that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord and that there was no one like him among the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He kept the commands that the Lord gave Moses. Now that's saying a lot about his character and his reign as a king. He was the exact opposite of his father and his actions show it. But he had his work cut out for him. Hezekiah was a restorer. He was a restorer. Imagine coming to the throne as a new king where people weren't allowed to worship. If you think about all the things that his father did in destroying the place where God was to be worshipped, he had his work cut out for him. Where was he going to start? It says in Second Chronicles 29.3, it says that in the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple and repaired them. The first month of the first year... So first things, first things first, he restored the place where they could worship and meet with God. Things were so bad in the temple that it took them until the 16th day of that month to clean it up. Not just physically, but to spiritually prepare and consecrate themselves to minister before the Lord. So he started his year off making sure that things were right in the house of worship. Things were right for worship. Hezekiah was a restorer he had to get to the pl- get the place and the people ready for worship. He had to get rid of all the garbage that was in the way. King Ahaz trashed trash the place and boarded it up. Now, I don't know what type of experiences you've had with garbage, but a couple weeks ago I was taking my dog out at night and it was pitch black. And Lexi's a lab, so she'll eat anything. So she took off. I opened the front door. She took off out the front door. She went behind our house. In the back of our property, there's a Pretty steep hill, and we 're sort of in a sort of remote area, sort of distant area there 's not many fences there, so where the th- where the four properties meet, only one of the neighbors actually has a fence, so you can walk across yards and stuff like that so Lexi went up to the top of this hill and I could kind of make out her figure on top of this hill she she has her nose and something and she 's eating something, and so I run up there and There she is eating garbage. Garbage is spread out all over. And it's across all four properties. It's through the fence. It's shoved against the fence. And the first thought in my mind, believe it or not, is who can I blame for this? Who did this, right? Whose garbage is this? Which neighbor can I call to clean it up? And so I haul out my cell phone, turn on the flash, and I I look around. And I see my garbage can sitting there. It's totally bent open. The bear. Their um, ties on it are totally snapped off. And uh, maybe you saw a picture on Facebook. I don't post too many personal things on Facebook, but I'll show you a picture of my garbage can. It was ripped open and garbage was everywhere. And I thought, okay, no matter whose garbage this is, it's mine. I need to clean it up. So my neighbor's yard. It's, uh, here and there, I need to clean it up. Well, Hezekiah knew where the garbage came from. It was from his dad. And he sought to make it right. He sought to get the house of worship ready for worship. He knew the first things first was to get things right for worshipping God. How the people were to come to him to come to God was important. And so like I said, according to Second Chronicles 19, or sorry 29,17, they took 16 days to clean up the place. Sixteen days that would be a really long church spring work bee to have everyone here for 16 days cleaning up the place. Now, think about it. So, King Ahaz reigned for 20 years. For 20 years, people didn't know what the worship of God looked like. You had teenagers who wouldn't even know uh, how to worship God. They'd never seen it before. It would have been so foreign to them. It would be such a cultural shift. So, how was Hezekiah a restorer? Well, he repaired and purified the temple. He reestablished service in the temple. He gathered the priests and Levites and basically gave them their jobs back. He supervised the sacrifices and offerings. He led the people in worship. He sent messengers out to invite people back to God and to come celebrate Passover from both Judah and Israel. Some people came, but they were not purified. King Hezekiah didn't cast them out, but he actually prayed for them. God was pleased and healed the people. And when those people returned home, they purified their own cities. So God was using Hezekiah for a revival. God was using him for a revival. But there's always opposition when you're doing God's will. There's always going to be things or people that come against you. Hezekiah and the kingdom was being threatened by the evil king of Syria. So he had a choice to make when he came up against opposition, just like we have a choice to make when we come up against opposition. If you look at a map of the ancient uh, kingdom of Judah and you look at the size of Judah and the size of Assyria, Assyria was huge. It would be like an area of twice the size of Vancouver Island going to war against BC and Alberta. We're just outnumbered, it's just a bigger area and King Hezekiah's kingdom of Judah was so tiny and Assyria was so powerful. It could so easily be squashed. Uh, for the most part, Hezekiah's dad Ahaz was able to keep Assyria off his back by paying them off, by giving them gold, and taking in part, uh, taking, being a part of whatever King Ahaz or the king of Assyria wanted. That's the way King Ahaz kind of survived. But Hezekiah came to power and said, "No more." Second Chronicles 32:1 it says, "After all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done." Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. So Hezekiah was being discouraged from trusting in God. After all the things that Hezekiah was trying to do that were right, they were good things. He was at the end of his rope, he was surrounded by his enemy. This could have easily driven him away from God or to God. He had a choice to make. The king of Assyria, Sennacherib, had sent his field commander, his chief officer, his supreme commander, all to get Hezekiah to get him to surrender. They all know that he didn't have a good battle strategy, that he already lost 46 cities. The Assyrians could already taste their victory. It could have been so easy for Hezekiah to seek the wisdom of his own army generals, come up with some sort of plan. Or even surrender and do what his dad did and just pay off the enemy. But Hezekiah didn't bow to their gods. He doesn't surrender and he doesn't pay them off. And now Hezekiah gets this letter from King Sennacherib himself. And it's basically a letter from a strong bully telling him the different ways that they're going to get wiped out. The different ways that King Sennacherib is going to kick their head in basically. Uh, Game over. No more Judah. He ridicules the Lord And Sennacherib even says in his letter that the Lord himself told me to march against your country and destroy it. It could have been so easy for Hezekiah to fall into ways that he's known, just to pay off the enemy, just like his dad did. Just compromise a little here and there, just to hopefully stay alive a little bit longer. But what does Hezekiah do? He chooses to turn to God. So Hezekiah turned to God for help. So that's where we come to the main text, Hezekiah's prayer that I want to look at this morning. So he went up to the temple and he took this letter and he spread it out before God. Let's read that again. So Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O oh Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O oh Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has said to insult the living God. <coughs> Excuse me. It is true, O oh Lord, that the, Assyrians, the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, only but wooden stone fashioned by men's hands. Now, O oh Lord, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth know that you alone are God. So, King Hezekiah took this bully's letter and brought it before God. All the things that Sennacherib said about Hezekiah, his people, his allies, and the Lord, he spread it out before God. If there's one thing I want you to take away from what I'm saying today, is that he brought it before God, spread it out, and prayed before it. Hezekiah recognized in his prayer that God would be offended by the evil king's words. Hezekiah recognized that the evil king eliminated other nations and their false gods and laid waste to other lands, but Hezekiah turned to God to save them. He started his prayer by praising God. Hezekiah knew his place as king of the nation, but he acknowledged God's place as king of heaven and earth. He came in humbleness. He also prayed in confidence, give ear, O Lord, open your eyes, O Lord. His prayer was dependence and certain. He knew that he was out of his league facing the Assyrians. He went before the Lord with this honest thought and poured out his heart to God. He knew he didn't have a chance on his own strength. How often do we think that we need to have these polished prayers and sound so eloquent? Remember that God knows the desires of your heart. We heard that through some of the testimonies, the thoughts of your mind, but he wants to hear you actually talk to him. He wants you to tell him what's going on. He knows what you need. Thankfully, we mature as we get older, as we spend more time with someone and spend more time investing in a relationship. The same is true with our earthly relationships. The same is true with God. I think of when my kids were little, when they were maybe a, a year and a half, two years old, they'd run up to you and say, Snack! Snack! And if one of my kids did that now... Yeah, sure, I would understand what they're, what they're trying to say. But if my 13-year-old came up to me and just said, Snack, snack, that's not how you talk to me and get what you want, right? I know there, you know that there are better ways to talk to me and better manners. And the same is true with God. Depending on where we're at and what our history with God is, he knows the cry of our hearts. Sometimes it's one word. Sometimes we need to tell him a lot more that's on our hearts. Hezekiah doesn't just bring this letter from the enemy and ask for deliverance. He doesn't talk about how big his problem is. Instead, he talks about how big of a God he serves. God knows your problems, your struggles, your temptations, but do you let God hear you say what you think of him? That he is almighty. That he is the creator. That he is God alone over heaven and earth. We look at Hezekiah's prayer, and sometimes when we pray, we focus on our problems. Hezekiah prays and sees the sovereign God enthroned. Sometimes we pray and focus on our circumstances. Hezekiah prays and sees God's rule over all the kingdoms of the earth. Sometimes we pray and focus on what we want. Hezekiah prays that through God's deliverance, all kingdoms on earth may know that he is God. Sometimes when we pray, we tend to tell God our big problems when we need to turn it around and tell the problem that we have a big God. How often do you take your garbage and spread it out before God? The things that people have said about you, maybe things that aren't your fault, maybe events that you couldn't control. Just like the bear in my yard spread out garbage all over, it was nothing I could control. Whether it was my garbage or not to deal with, it was, but I had to deal with it. There would have been bigger problems if I didn't deal with it, like my dog getting sick or attracting more bears. Hezekiah couldn't ignore the garbage his enemy gave him either in this letter. Now, maybe you're like my house and you keep a big calendar on your fridge. Hey, if you're wondering where our calendar went, I brought it. But we keep a big calendar on our fridge, and maybe you're like me, you keep a big calendar on your fridge, I have a busy family of five, and if you look through my calendar, you'd probably see uh, doctor's appointments, um, different birthdays, different anniversaries, uh, trips that we took, holidays, bills that we needed to pay, going over to people's houses, people coming over to our house, meetings that needed to happen, and I ask you, what's your calendar like? What was your 2018 like? If, we, if you thumb through the calendar in your mind, what type of things happened in your year? Maybe as we turn the calendar over to 2019, maybe you're thinking you don't have a reason to copy those birthdays and anniversaries into your new calendar. Maybe they're not in your life anymore. Maybe they've passed. Maybe when you look back uh, in your 2018, you've had some tough doctor's appointments with some tough test results. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you were depressed. Maybe you can't find a job. Maybe your marriage was going down the tubes. Maybe you were lonely. Maybe you were feeling defeated. Maybe financially you're drowning. Maybe 2018 was an ugly year and you just want to get rid of that. Forget it and move move on. Leave it all behind. Start with a fresh start. Can I get you to spread out that calendar before God? Spread out whatever things have come your way in 2018. Just put it on the table before Him. Put it on the table before Him just like Hezekiah did. God, my enemies surround me. God, this is the way that, that I'm going to be wiped out. I don't see any hope through this year. I don't see any hope. I don't know what to do. Here's what my enemies are saying about me, God. Here's how it looks like uh, my, the things on my calendar are going to overtake me. Things didn't happen the way I wanted them to happen in 2018. God, please deliver me so that people can know that you are God. Lord, I need you. Lord, give ear and hear. Lord, open your eyes and see. My 2018 is spread out before you. It's all yours. It's all yours. It's just another chapter in my life, Lord. Jesus is our Redeemer. The things that we've cried over, stressed over, worried about, worked so hard over, all belong to Him. Our story belongs to Him. Our 2018 belongs to Him. He's already redeemed our past so that we can focus on the present and on our future. How are we going to live for him? Now, if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard these two verses before. The first one, I know it's pretty tiny. The first one, Psalm thirty-seven, five and six, it says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your make way sorry, he will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication like the noonday sun. The other one is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Sometimes we quote those verses for the future. And there's good in that, committing your steps to God. God, I want my future to be in You and I want You in my future. But I want you to look at the word way and ways The Hebrew word for way is direct, and it literally means road or path that was used for a journey. We think of it often as the way being our future, but it also refers to our past, the journey that we've been on. So the Israelites would have heard these verses and remembered their journey from one place to another. Kind of puts it in a different light. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your journeys, submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. Commit your journey to the Lord. Trust in Him. It's not just looking to the future, but it's also committing your past to Him because He can redeem it. Say, God, this is my journey. This is what I've walked through in 2018. As I commit my ways to You, I submit to You. I give You my past year. As broken as my 2018 might have been, as hurtful as it was, as joyful as it might have been, I spread it out before you. I put 2018 on the table before you. Where do I go from here, God? What do I do with the events that have happened? What do I do with these cards that have been dealt in 2018? Let's watch that clip, Gene. Thank you. Cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. He wants you to come to Him with your heavy heart, your problems, your victories. You only know the things that God has revealed to you and the things that have happened already. The things that you've cried over, stressed about, worried about could be the same at this point next year in 2019. Or they could seem like a distant memory that you barely remember. But if you lay that out on the table and spread it out before God, He'll be pleased with our attitude and our action and will save us. Because it's Him that redeems your journey. Just like He saved Hezekiah. Now I won't go into detail about how Hezekiah was saved. I'll let you read about that on your own. But it's quite the miracle involving an angel thinning out an army. Even when it seems like things on the calendar just summarize the way that the enemy has come against us, God will still save us. And redeem the tough things that we've walked through in 2018. He'll redeem them and work them for His purpose and His plan for 2019 and beyond. We just don't see or know. 2 Corinthians 4 7 to 9, it says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. So what can we learn from Hezekiah's prayer? He acknowledged the truth about God, the only true God. He acknowledges his helplessness. He spread out everything before God. He spread out the letter from his enemy. He put his calendar out there. He put his cards on the table. He said, this is where I am today, God. Invite you to stand with me. And the worship team can come back. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you keep a calendar on your fridge. Or maybe it's on a device. Or maybe it's in a day planner. Or maybe you're one of those awesome people who keep everything straight in your head. I admire you. But I want you to imagine and kind of remember your 2018 and all the things that brought you joy and all the things that brought you sadness. Some parts of the journey of 2018 were tougher than others. Some of us have scars or hurts, questions or doubts, sorrows or failures. Some of us have joy or sorrow at different points over the year. So before you tear down that 2018 calendar, I want you to spread it out before God, just as we spread out a journey before Him. So God, we spread out our past year before you. All the hurts, all the struggles, all the things that came up that we can't control. God, we turn them all over to you. For we know that you are writing a story of our lives, that we can't just throw away a a chapter, but Lord, we know that some of the hurt that we've gone through is for your good and for your glory. And God, it's tough to say that, It's tough to imagine that. But God, we just rely on You. We just turn our calendar over to You and all the different things that have happened. For we know that 2019, we can look to You as our Savior. That, Holy Spirit, You'll just work in our lives. That You'll work those things to tell our story of Your greatness, Lord. So God, as we turn over our calendar, we just turn over our past and our future to You, Lord. In Your holy name we pray. Amen.